0: Hello, thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. For any visitors that are here, welcome to West Hill Baptist Church. My name is Paul Crow. I am not the senior pastor. Uh, I am one of the deacons that serve here, but it is my honor and my privilege you this morning's message. It has been a very interesting week. Uh, Pastor Aaron called me roughly nine days ago and asked if I would be willing and able to fill in this Sunday. I didn't even think twice. I said yes. And then it dawned on me. And don't take me wrong, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but God is a leg man. And I say that because when I was 12 years old, I was hit by a drunk driver, shattered my right leg, broke my left arm. Why did God allow this? It gave my mom a wonderful testimony on God's healing power. When we moved to Alliance, Ohio, I took my kids roller skating. I made it all the way around the rink and then stepped onto the carpet and fell. Spiral fractured my right leg. I was laid up for about four months, five months, I don't know, She's the one that had to deal with it forever. That's my wife, Sarah, for anyone that doesn't know. Blessing of my life that I don't always recognize. But he he spiral fractured my left leg. Why? Because at the time, I was still running from God. I had told God I didn't want anything to do with him and ran for him for years. But I still felt it was important to have my kids in church. So we would go to the Nazarene church that I grew up in. I wasn't getting anything there because I wasn't listening. But we moved into a house in Alliance, Ohio, from Akron that had previously been owned by a pastor who moved from Alliance to Akron that just happened to butt up against the backyard of the Alliance Christian Center. And I told my wife, you know what? When I get up and moving around, we're going to go try this church. Because it's close to home, and if things don't go right, we're just right around the corner. That is where God performed a miracle in my life. The door had always been open, and he had suddenly been pushing at my back. At the Alliance Christian Center... He gave me a good swift kick in the butt, and I went through the door. Today, we're not supposed to be here. We had made hotel arrangements. We were going to be in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for Remembrance Day, and we were going to be partaking in all of the festivities and the social activities that they have for reenactors in Gettysburg. Went there last year, had a hoot. But God, six weeks ago, five weeks ago, broke my wife's foot. Why? Because he knew that nine days ago I would get a phone call from Pastor Aaron and that he had laid a message on my heart weeks ago for today that I had to be here for. And I'll tell you right now, this message is as much for me as it is for somebody in this congregation. God is definitely a leg man. At least in my life. If you would, and if you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis 37, verses 22. That will be our text for today. I will be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version. If you would, and if you're willing and able, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy and precious word. Genesis 37, verse 22 through 27. Reuben also said to them, Don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, for he intended to rescue him from their hands and return him to the Father. When Joseph came to his brethren, they stripped off his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. They looked up, and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin, going down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And they agreed. Let us pray. Holy Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together in freedom, Lord, to open your word which is freely available to us all, to join in fellowship with one another out in the open, to lift your praises loud and confidently where so many of our brothers and sisters have to whisper them in private and secret. I pray, Lord, today that you just use me as a vessel. Put me on the back burner and let it be your spirit and your word that comes forth to speak to the hearts and the minds of your people, to give them the word that you have given me for them. And that we leave here today, Lord, changed, renewed, revived, invigorated, and confident and courageous in your spirit, that with you all things are possible. That with you, no matter what the dilemma, we will rise. We ask this in the precious and the holy name of your son, the Christ. Amen. You can be seated. There's a Chinese story about an old Chinese farmer that had an old horse. And he used this horse to till his farm. One day that horse got loose from its pen and ran off into the mountains. And all of his neighbors came by to sympathize with him in his bad luck. And the farmer replied to them, we will see. A week later, the horse returned, leading a herd of wild horses to his farm. And his neighbors came with him, gathered around him to celebrate his good fortune. And he said, we will see. A little while later, one of his sons was trying to break one of the horses. And was thrown off its back and broke his leg. Oh, the neighbors again gathered around to sympathize. Oh, what bad luck you have. We will see. Shortly thereafter, the army came to town, looking to constrict constrict every able-bodied man. When they came to the farmer's home, they let the boy off because he had a broken leg and could not serve. He was spared. We... We'll see. What does that story say? It says that when we focus on our circumstances close up, we don't observe the big picture. And we don't observe what God may be working on, what God may be doing. You ever heard the phrase, can't see the forest for the trees? There you go. When we concentrate on the, why me? When we concentrate on the, why did this happen? We miss the miracle of God. We don't always understand why God allows things. Lord knows I don't. But that's where our faith comes in. And our faith should cover the rest. We should be looking up even in times of trial. Even when the darkest night is upon us, we should be looking up and we should learn as people of faith to look up and say, God, what are you going to do with this? But don't say it in a manner of unbelief. Don't say it in a manner of, I don't, I don't see what you can possibly do with this. Say it, say it in a manner expectant of what God can do in your life. Who here has ever had a bad day? Who here has ever faced something they didn't know how they were going to get out of? A little bit later, I'm going to expand on this, but we know as Christians, we are to expect issues. (laughs) We're not promised an easy life, we're not promised an easy game or an easy victory, but we are promised victory. It's sort of like, how many of you were alive back in the 90s? Most of you. Some of you aren't. So you don't remember the cardiac kids. I do. I remember Brian Seip. I remember Reggie Rucker. I remember Webster Slaughter. And I remember how down to the very last minute of the game, we weren't going to win. But you know what? In that last minute, the cardiac kids arrived. And they won the game. even went to the AFC championship game a couple times. Bernie Kosar. Why am I bringing that up? Because too often we turn our eyes down. When they should constantly be looking up. We never know when God is going to step in. We never know when that saying, but God, is going to arrive. The last song we sang, Alive, by Big Daddy Weave, several, a couple months ago, was the catalyst for a study that I started to do called But God, based on significant two-word phrases in the Bible. And that's why I asked them to sing it, because it was the catalyst of the genesis of this message, But God. If you ever have a chance to go through the Bible and look at all the verses where those words are used, you will see a God that interacts in a powerful way. A God that shows mercy, compassion, and love. You'll see where Noah was in an ark for 40 days with water all about him. But God remembered Noah and sent the wind and drove the water from the face of the earth. But God. We've all encountered situations where we felt like throwing in the towel. We've all encountered times when we felt the world was against us. We all felt no matter what we did, things weren't going to turn out. No matter what we did, it was always going to turn out bad. No matter what we did, things won't change. Or maybe we've gotten down so far we can't get back up. But like I said, Those of us with hope in Christ have to remember and have to realize that we don't serve a God of stone or a God of wood or a God of ivory. We serve a risen, living Savior. We serve a Savior that literally cares about everything we do. And you can argue this with me or not, but I think... God cares about the simplest things in our lives. Why? When we pastored a church in West Virginia, there was a family, the Hartley family. They lost a young adult son. How do you console a family that loses a child? This is how. Everything you have, including your children, are a gift. A gift that ultimately does not belong to you, but belongs to our Father in heaven. They lost their child. But they were given the blessing of 20-some years with him on the face of this earth. And they're also giving the blessing of a true hope of reunion. It's never goodbye. It's see you. In the Father's house. Where there is no sickness. There is no illness. There is no pain. There is no cancer. There is no death. There are no broken bones. There is no shedding of blood. There is praise. There is worship. There is joy. There is happiness untold. Why? But God. But God is a two-word phrase in the Bible that I think is probably one of the most powerful. We see phrases like pulled up, cast down, healed all. But God, I think, is the most powerful. And it is used 43 times in Scripture. It's God's response to Satan's challenge. It's the bottom line. It's the last word. It is the end to end all. When viewed in relationship to our life, but God is what up is the down. What life is to death. What in is to out. It stands opposed to the negativity of this world. When the world says no but God says yes. When the world says can't but God says can. When the world says won't but God says will. When the world says stop but God says go. When the world says don't but God says do. And the world says defeat but God says victory. But God will climb the highest mountain, but God will cross the deepest valley, and but God will bring light to the darkest night. But God exclaims, I am going to go to the enemy's camp, and I am going to take back everything that Satan has stolen from me. That God is courageous, and but God is conclusive. I'm speaking to you today about but God. And I'm going to tell you that in the Holy Script that we read from this morning, you will find stories of our adversary, the devil, where he is confused and he is confounded. His tricks and his schemes to battle the church and battle God's people and battle God himself are foiled. They're foiled because he did not realize that God always has the final say. God always follows up the schemes of Satan with but God. The devil worked so hard to get everything just right. And then he heard from heaven God. As we look at our text, we're reminded of Joseph. Now, by the time we get to Buck God in the life of Joseph, he has lived a very, very fascinating life. He was sold into slavery, but as a young man, before he was sold into slavery. He was his father's pride and joy. Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph above all of his other children. Joseph didn't do himself any favors either. If you remember the story of Joseph, he had dreams. And he knew his brothers didn't like him, so what did he do? He gathered them all together and said, hey, I had a dream. We were all in the field and we were bundling sheaves of wheat, and then my sheave of wheat rose up, and all the, the 11 others bowed down to it. The brothers who already hated him looked at him and said, You're telling us we're going to bow to you, that we're going to worship you? That just fueled their hate even more. So, what did he do? Well, Joseph learned his lesson. No, he had another dream. This time he took it to his brothers and his dad said, hey, I dreamed about the sun and the moon and 11 stars and how they were all bowing to me. Jacob, Israel, his answer to that was, you're telling me that your mother and I and your 11 brothers are going to bow and worship you? The Bible tells us that his brothers hated him even more. But it also tells us that his father put it to memory. I think the life of Joseph and all that he went through, the slavery, the accusation of rape by Potiphar's wife, where he lost favor with her husband, was thrown in jail. The interpretation of the chief baker's dream, and then the chief baker forgetting about him and leaving him in prison. All of that, and yet he became the prime minister of Egypt. He became responsible for saving lives all over the known world at that time. But God. I think it is a perfect example of what we read in Romans eight twenty eight, where we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The life of Joseph is a perfect example of that. But so many times the devil throws things our way, things that are meant to stop us trusting Things that are meant to make us feel sorry. Things that are meant to make us give up. Things that are meant for God, for bad. But God means them for good. God takes us through things. Why? Why does he allow things to happen? He allows them to make us stronger. Remember Job? Man, dude lost everything. Except a contentious wife. (laughs) I'm going off on a pedestal on on, on a side note here. I always joke with people that uh, one of my favorite verses is in Proverbs. I think it's 2021 where it says, Better to eat alone in the middle of the desert than in a beautiful home with a crabby, contentious wife. Anyway, I think of that verse when I think of Job's wife. He lost everything but God. How many of you, if you were in Job's situation, would fear, feel of despair? I know I would. If I had to go through all the trials that Joseph went through, I would feel in despair. Let's bring up the Apostle Paul. How many times was he shipwrecked? At least four. How many times was he lashed on the back for spreading the gospel? How many times was he imprisoned? How many times was he scoffed? But did he lose hope? No. No, he did not. I think I'm in the right spot here. Nope, I'm not. Now I am. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, this came to my mind just this morning. There's a phrase that I hear way too often, and I'm going to step off to the side here again and tell you right now that the phrase God will never give you more than you can handle is a lie from the pits of hell. It is a lie from hell simply because when we go through things that feel like they're going to tear us apart, separate us limb from limb, It does not allow us the privilege of seeing what God can do because God surely would not have allowed this in my life. God surely would not have brought this upon me. God surely is not going to get me out of this because God will not give me stuff I can't handle. I get fired up and I'm sorry. No, I'm not. No, I'm not sorry. 1 Corinthians Sorry, 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, that we despaired even of life. That does not sound to me like life is going to be rosy, and it does not sound to me like God is not going to give me anything I can't handle. He gives us things that we can't handle, so we turn and fall on God because God can work miracles. But God intervened, but God put his hand into the situation, but God was there. Genesis 45, 8 says, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. This is Joseph, Joseph speaking to his brothers. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. The sale of Joseph was meant for harm, but God meant it for good. I received a call last week from a friend of ours, Sam and Sarah, you don't know them, part of our reenacting group. I believe they're believers. According to Sam, their marriage was crumbling. He didn't know what to do. So I listened. I shared. And I prayed with him. And part of that prayer that I shared with him was the fact that I believe that if Satan can tear down the family, he can tear down the church. And we know that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. We know that God is stronger than the schemes of Satan. So I told Sam, and I used the very words, but God. So when husband and wife are on opposite sides of the room, but God can bring them together. When it looks like your children just don't hear you, And children, when you think your parents have no idea what they're talking about, but God can intervene and bring unity. Satan means it for bad, but God means it for good. After Jacob, Israel died. His brothers came back again before Joseph. Why? Because they were afraid that after... Jacob died, he would uh, seek retribution against his brothers. Joseph said, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. This is the type of attitude that we need in the church today. One, that we are victorious. Two, that God can bring you through anything if it's within his will. We need to understand that no matter what we go through, no matter how bad things may get, no matter how the enemy may attack us, remember, it may look dark now, but God. Let me remind you of another story. Everybody know David and Goliath? I hope so. David went out into the field on the battlefield facing Goliath. Goliath pointed his sword at David. The devil points his sword of deceit and lies at you. But it was that same very sword of Goliath that David used to cut his head off. It's the very schemes and toils and snares of the devil That but God can turn around into a victory in your life. The devil thinks he has it all worked out. He thought he could stop the plan of God, but God. He thought he could stop the church, but God. You know, we all started out bad. bad. We were born with evil natures. We were born with a carnality within us, just like everybody else. But like that last song we sung, But God, rich in mercy, reached down for me so I could rise. But God, strong and mighty, I was in the grave of sin and death. But God brought me out. But God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be saved. No section. Do not be deceived. I'm sorry, that was really a misstatement. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers, thieves, will inherit the kingdom of God. Satan says, Such were some of you. But God says, You are washed, you are sanctified. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Satan says, you can make it on your own. But God says, I am for you. I am more than the world. Satan says, hold on to your problems because nobody can help you. But God says, cast your care on me because I care for you. Satan says, take the easy way out, but God says, the race is not given to the swift or the strong, but the one who endures until the end. Satan says that your enemies have surrounded, come out with your hands up, but God says, I'll make your enemies my footstool. Satan says, sickness will follow you, but God says, I am the great physician. Satan says, there's nothing else the doctors can do, but God says, I can change the diagnosis. Satan says, I will make you a slave to sin. But God says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He also says, For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Satan says, I'll take your son, I'll hold him in the grave. But God says, After three days, I will rise again. That makes me excited. It makes life worth living. It makes trials worth going through. Don't listen to the eyes of our enemies. Please remember that God always has the final word. (coughs) Acts 2, 22 through 24 say, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Did you know that since Christ is not held by the pains of death? Did you know that since Christ is not held by the permanency of the grave, you're not either? Did you know that since Christ conquered every temptation Satan brought against him, you yourself can conquer every temptation brought across you by the devil? Do you really know it? Satan meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. This world has gotten you down and you just can't find your way up. Remember that phrase, but God. Because no matter what the situation is, no matter what the problem is, no matter the means of attack, God can make it better. You know, I've been through a lot of crap in my life. I could be an alcoholic. I got involved with alcohol when I was in the service. I could have been a drug addict. I got involved with drugs when I was in the service. I could be on my deathbed from AIDS, or a number of any different diseases, because I was very promiscuous when I was in the service. I could be friendless. I could be homeless. I could have no food. I could have no money. I could be lost on my way to hell. But God. God loved me so much that he saved my soul. He died for me and he rose for me, for all of us. He rose early on a Sunday morning with all the power in two nail scarred hands. Not some power, not limited power, not just because he was lucky. All power with a capital A L L. The power over everything you face in your life lies within the nail-scarred hands of Christ to get you through. Ephesians 2, 4-6 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace together with Christ Jesus. He also raised us up and seated us with him in the heavens. Now, the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ And all that he went through in his life Speak volumes to the fact that even though we have faith in God There are bad things that will happen Babies are going to die Children are going to be abused People will be the victims of violent crime We see in the news stories of Baghdad and Kabul and the things that go on over there. 75 years ago, our parents, some of us, our grandparents, read about places like Auschwitz, the horrors and the evil of this world. Every day has a new story of violence and hatred and sin at its very root. But the thing is, Our faith has the rest of the story. We know that all things, even the terrible things, work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But God. Satan brought me here, but God. Satan did this, but God. Satan is trying to do this, but God. We don't always know why. Sometimes things seem very fractured. St. Augustine described it this way. He said that when you first consider your life, it looks like nothing but a bunch of chicken tracks in the mud of a barnyard going this way and that. But through eyes of faith, we begin to discern pattern, meaning, and direction by God's providence. But God is all about the Father's perspective. It's all about what he can and wants to do. So put on your kingdom glasses, the ones with the blood-stained lenses, and see your situation through God's eyes. We might think that we have it all figured out, and we might think that we know what is best, but my Bible tells me God has a plan for every life in this room. And all we have to do is seek after his will because there's a way that seems right to every person but at its end is the way of death in and of our own power. If you let him lead you and you let him guide you and you willingly follow him You'll feel, you'll find that there's nobody else that can do like he can but God. He can open doors that have been shut, and he can shut doors that nobody can open. Nobody else can do that but God. I want to share with you something really quick. (laughs) The I will be able to relate to this. When I was born, I was born with my esophagus connected to my lungs instead of my stomach. And I had to have a surgery, and I have no idea how to pronounce it. Maybe you do, Pastor David. I can't remember. There you go. The thing is, when I was born that way, there wasn't a whole lot of people that knew what to do. I was born, my mama was breastfeeding me, and she was drowning me. But God, back in 1965, there was a new procedure for just that kind of issue that had been invented by a doctor, of course. And that doctor just happened to be in Akron, Ohio giving a seminar when I was born. That doctor came to Barberton Citizens Hospital and performed the surgery on me. And I lived. Five years ago, I started getting sick. They had no idea why. For three years, they didn't know why. They kept trying to treat it in all sorts of different ways, but they really couldn't do anything internally because they didn't know what they were dealing with. They finally found it was myelodysplasia syndrome. Same thing that Carson went through. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's akin to leukemia. It is a bone marrow disorder where your bone marrow stops making functioning blood cells. Eventually, what will happen is you will go into bone marrow failure and die. Period. There's absolutely nothing they can do for it except a bone marrow transplant. Sometimes it works. I have seen people down at the Nashville VA that have gone through leukemia as well as what I've gone through. And sometimes, three, four, five years later, they're right back where they started again. Cancer. But God. I am two years post transplant. <laughs> Next week, we will not be here because we'll be in Nashville going through follow-ups again. I'm telling you right now, God has brought me through. God will continue to bring me through. Why? Because he's told me. No, I don't hear voices. But he has told me, and I have reassurance in Christ. When I first started going through this, I had to sit down with a psychiatrist that wanted to ask me all sorts of questions about grief and despair. And my answer to her, (laughs) I'm not worried. Because even when things go bad, if Christ chooses to take me home, I win. If Christ chooses to heal me, I win. To live is Christ and to die is gain if you believe in Christ. I don't have fear of death. I don't have fear of troubling times. I don't have fear of trial because I know that with God, (coughs) excuse me, all things are possible because but God, when he intervenes, can do anything. I'll leave you with this. Don't despair. Don't let the devil take you to a place where, where you, you can't see the light for the darkness. Christ is light. Christ is the answer to everything you're going through. If you are here today and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, then I implore you to seek him. I implore you To open the word of God and let his spirit speak to your heart. Because it ain't easy. And sometimes it's just downright, it seems almost impossible. But God will bring you through. If you are here today and you know Christ as your personal Savior and you're in a situation, I don't know, maybe you're having marital problems. Maybe, maybe you're having illness and sickness problems. Maybe, maybe, I don't know what the problem is, but I know God is big enough that he can hold it in his hands. And he will bring you through it according to his way. And do not be surprised if when you get through it, he did it a completely different way than you ever thought he would. Don't be surprised if in the pain you find victory. Let God work. Will you bow your heads? Father God, you are, insert a word, you are, everything. You are powerful. You are almighty. You are victorious. You are, the sa- you, are, you are more than death. You are more than the grave. You are more than this world. God, help us, Lord, to put our faith and our trust in you in even the most darkest situations. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. I know I'm over time. Bear with me one minute. There is a song by Bethel Music called Raise a Hallelujah. And the lyrics go, I'll try not to sing it. The lyrics go like this. I raise a hallelujah. In the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is my melody of praise. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. Our King is alive. Live that, people.